0: Back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is August 3rd, 2015. This is episode 133. I'm Scott Magnus and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. For those listening to us, you should be finding us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, but you can also check us out at Baltimore Sports Report. Check them out uh, daily for Baltimore Sports Today, a daily pad- podcast from Zach Wilta and Javi Burns. And tune in all season as we come to you with BSR postgame lives, except for this week. Little West Coast trip is not going to let us stay up till two o'clock in the morning and talk to the two or three people out there. So, pregame shows? Eh, maybe pregame shows. And they should be a little bit quicker, too, because Jake can't overanalyze a single defensive play for about 10 minutes. It's impossible. Yeah, uh, you should also be following us on various third-party applications such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and iTunes. Please, folks, if you're out there, give us a review. Link the show to some friends. You know, if they're looking for something to do in the office, and you know they really don't want to do work, say, "Hey, I know this podcast, and uh, they really don't talk about baseball." So why don't you go ahead and listen to them? Especially if they're a big fan of 1960s B-side English uh, British invasion albums. Uh, check us on social media, too, at Facebook.com slash BVCast. And follow us on Twitter at B A L. and also spread the message that we're on there as well to your fan, friends and family. With that, let's over to the drink of the week. Jake? Very important drink of the week uh, this week. Uh, I, I
1: am uh, going a little different today. Uh, I'm having myself a fielder's choice, and uh, we're not going to talk about this beer right now. Oh. We're going to address that in a future episode. Spoiler alert. Mm. Uh, Instead, I want to talk about the most important part, which is the glass. Yeah. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be uh, drinking it out of a pint glass from the Hit Point Brewing Company. Uh, a friend of the program, Chris Maurer, uh, helped us uh, make the introduction. And though the beer is currently not available in, in the land of uh, pleasant living, it's it's currently available in Hanover, Pennsylvania, it's only a matter of time before it comes this way. So uh, Hit Point Brewing Company, they call themselves, uh, quote, massive nerds making massively awesome ales.
0: Wow, that sounds right up our alley. What could be better
1: than that, right? Yeah. So check them out at Hit Point Brew on the Twitters, and you can find them at Facebook.com slash Brewing.
0: I really love their logo that they've gone with. They've gone with an 8-bit uh, version of a heart, I believe from the Legend of Zelda game. That's what I got. Um, so excellent job for them to pull the, uh, the, the nerd quotient. Uh, I'm actually going with a slightly different take. I'm drinking a Stone Go-To IPA. It's a uh, Session IPA with some very citrusy characteristic, Pretty darn good, in my opinion. Well done, Stone. Keep it up. Uh, with that, let's pop over to the twat. All right, first of all, I'm just going to say, we never have. This tweet
1: comes from Ryan Blake, who can be tweeted uh, at our guy Blake. I'll be making my hashtag Birdland Bash debut today. Don't underestimate the softball talents of a 5'8", 125-pound kid. I I never have. Never doubted. Yeah.
0: Don't know how it would feel to be five foot eight and 125 pounds. I just can't imagine that anymore. Hey, 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 hey. I have a lot of not so fun memories. Back off. Yeah.
1: In all seriousness, thank you to everybody that came out to the Birdland Bash. And thank you to my partner here, Scott Magnus, for putting it all together. The Birdland Bash is his brainchild. He does a wonderful job of putting it together every year. A lot of people came out and had fun, and we would just want to thank you all for being a part of it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing what happens, too, when you get 12 hours sleep, uh, how not sore you are the next morning. So, all four, 7 o'clock bedtime, the ni- day of. All right, I have beef. All right. all right. Let's just segue time. Segway time, okay. Sorry, twat people. This is my time. Yeah. I took a 10-minute nap that yeah. afternoon. 10 minutes. Yeah.
1: My wife takes a picture of me, passed down on the couch, puts it up
0: on social media, and makes fun of me all night. And then it got... Broadcast all across Baltimore Sports today during their podcast, and they talked about how you fell asleep on the job and everything. 10 minutes. Yeah.
1: It was a 10 minute nap.
0: You have a tendency to fall asleep on that couch. I do. Yeah. I do. But like with most things, it didn't last long. Right. But again, thanks everyone for coming out. We had a great time. We'll certainly be doing it again next year, having a softball event. It's really great to see uh, everyone come together as a community. It's not about winning or losing because pretty much the score was forgotten at the end of the game. Um, It was just mainly about having fun and uh, throwing some sunflower seeds up in the air every single time Jake threw a home run ball. (laughs) Of which there There are are many, many. yes.
1: All right, our next tweet comes from Buster Olney, who, of course, tweets at Buster underscore ESPN. I should say former guest of the program, Buster Olney. Uh, He tweets as follows. MLB attendance this season, two-thirds of the teams averaging about 30,000 or more with a uh, link to ESPN's attendance numbers. Scott, I thought this sport was dying um yeah okay did the nfl send any of their uh media interns to cover this story no oh
0: Me. okay okay um next week this goes into the won't stop people from complaining about the rental uh, next year though this comes from dylan atkinson who was a member of the birdland bash and hit multiple home runs off of you jake you can follow him at d atkinson ou and it says according to at mlb pipeline zach davies goes from being Orioles' third best prospect to brewer's 11th best Mm. It's a little bit of a delta delta there in terms of changing from one organization to the other. But it
1: Well, does it say something about this organization, though? Yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, next, we have a tweet that is all about hard choices. And when it comes to hard choices, we go to our friend uh, Jabby Burns from the BSR podcast, also from Baltimore Sports Today over at BSR. Uh, the tweet is as follows, at Jabby Burns. Hard to root for the Blue Jays. He actually calls them the BJs, but I was going to leave that be. But the Twins are in the wild card spot. Hashtag conflicted. This is
0: a terrible tweet.
1: No, no, no. I've got one better. Okay. Here's hashtag conflicted. Who do you have in the Blue Jays slash
0: Royals kerfluffle? Uh. Honestly, I have Royals. Really? Yeah. Because I got the weather. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> too bad I was playing in a dome. Now, <laughs> uh, Speaking of which, uh, Hardball Talk posted something on their Twitter. I uh, You can follow them at Hardball Talk. Jordana Ventura calls Jose Batista a nobody and accuses him of sign stealing. Okay. Yeah, there was a little bit of a, uh, you know... A Few tweets put out there in Spanish and then it was deleted, but it was basically calling out Jose Batista for uh, being classless and stealing signs and uh, being a nobody.
1: Not the first time he's been accused of any of that, yeah. by the way. But
0: I would actually recommend anyone that really wants to get a good laugh go look, at, uh, look for the video with Greg Zahn responding to Giordano Ventura. And uh, that's pretty amusing, in my opinion. So oh, this is a an, that's an, This is an interesting example of uh, uh, Toronto once again fluffing its feathers and thinking they're much better than they actually are.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right, next, I want to go to a tweet that happened uh, way earlier in the week. This is back on the 27th of July, so, of course, it's, it's no bueno anymore. But this comes from Jason Stark, and we talked about this on the previous podcast. Yeah. Uh, he tweets, at Jason St. Um Sources, colon. That's a very bad sign. Hashtag Padres and hashtag Orioles have discussed deal to send Justin Upton to Baltimore. Possibly could expand it to include uh, San Diego starters, Ross slash Kashner.
0: Hmm. None of those guys got moved. No. No. This is what we like to call feeding frenzy tweets. I would agree. All right. Next tweet, Jake. Do you want to introduce this one?
1: Sure. Uh the next tweet we have is uh from seductive Tommy Hunter. And uh l- listen, girl, it's not seductive. No, girl. The the tweet is as follows. No, no! 140
0: characters. 140 characters of foes,
1: yeah. (sighs) Seductive Tommy Hunter. Poor, poor seductive Tommy Hunter. What's he going to do? Uh,
0: I think that's the big question that everyone wants to know is, what is going to happen to seductive Tommy Hunter? I'm hoping he personally keeps tweeting uh, in a Cubs jersey, basically. Well,
1: no, I'm going to argue with you on that one. First of all, Tommy Hunter may wear a Cubs jersey right now, and he may wear another jersey some other day. But that's Tommy Hunter. Seductive Tommy Hunter
0: will always be an Oriole. Or it could be Seductive Junior Lake. It's true. Yeah. Uh, with that, you know, let's go through and recap everything that has changed in the Birdland sphere for over the past week. Let's go around the bases. As
1: she was, just walking down the street singing
0: With the flurry of roster moves, people are now standing next to us that we really weren't expecting just a few weeks ago. Let's run around the bases and cover the moves. So let's start at first base, Jake. The big move has to be the Orioles trading for Gerardo Parra, giving up Zach Davies in the process. Gerardo Parra is posting a 322, 366, 512 slash line with 139 weighted runs created plus and has to be a major positive addition for this team, especially with the down performance in the outfield. But the Orioles gave up Zach Davies, who... Ranks as a top 80 to 140 prospect and is likely, there's discussion whether he's the third best prospect or up to the sixth best prospect, but he's, I think, clearly behind Bundy, Harvey, and Chancisco based off all scouting reports. So I'm going to put him as the fourth best prospect right now in the organization. I'll take it. Yeah, it's fair. Um, Was it worth it to give up on the fourth prospect for a two month rental of Horatapara? And do we learn anything from last year's trade of Eduardo Rodriguez? Well,
1: let me answer your last question first. Did we learn anything from last year's trade for Erod? Um, Yes, and this is what I learned. Fans, regardless of whether or not it was the right move, are going to complain on both sides, no matter what happens. If the team stands pat, fans are going to be upset, they're going to complain. If the teams make a move, they're going to be upset, they're going to complain. I'm still a defender of the Andrew Miller trade. I thought it was a great trade. We had to part with a guy who... Could very well be a good pitcher in this league. Yep. But we made our best effort to go out and win the World Series. Okay. The Orioles are probably in a much weaker position this season, and they're just trying to make the playoffs. But I think, looking realistically at 2016, this is probably the best chance for a while to make the playoffs. So absolutely, I think, go ahead, do what you can
0: without totally mortgaging the future to make that move into the playoffs, because at that point it's crapshoot. If you look at Zach Davies and you look at how he's projected, he's definitely going to get to the major leagues. There's no question about mm-hmm. that. It's a question of is he going to be a back end starter or is he going to be in the bullpen? Personally, looking at his stuff, I think he could easily be a number four, number five starter. But the question is, how much is that worth it to you to go and have a club control number four, number five starter? Um, it looks like the Orioles have a lot of them in the Arsenal right now with Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson. Um, You know, it's a good opportunity to take, you know, a plethora of not really great pitchers, but not terrible pitchers and go out and get something that could possibly help you to win. Now, I have no issue with this move whatsoever, but I totally agree with you, Jake. People are going to come back and lambast the Orioles about this in the future when Zach Davies has even one good start. As soon as Zach Davies has one good start, we're going to say man it'd be really nice to have an ace like Zach Davies in there (laughs) just like we were talking about man it'd really be nice to have Mike Wright in there he's an ace look at these two starts that he's had well that eventually blew up similar to how Eduardo Rodriguez was this year as well whereas the first few games were just like wow it's really tough to watch but now you know the book has come out a little bit on Eduardo Rodriguez it looks like in the past few starts Rodriguez has done a little better in terms of masking his pitching Um, but Eduardo Rodriguez certainly has a lot to learn and there's no guarantee that Zach Davies is going to have that big return as well either. I think it's a great move for the Orioles. Um, the only downside I could see from it is the Blue Jays got really good during this trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, really, really good. Um, so the Orioles made a blip on the radar, whereas the Blue Jays went all in. And unfortunately, when you're gonna be playing the Blue Jays a lot and you're going for that second wild card spot, it's difficult to say uh, do we merely make enough of a move to be of a solid competition to the Blue Jays? I don't know, but I, I like the move. It's a win-now mindset, and that's kind of what I want to see from this team going forward. And the Blue Jays were already killing us. That's the other thing to consider. Yeah. Like they
1: were already beating us at our own game. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind with this trade is the Orioles, let's face it, are terrible. The Orioles are terrible at developing pitching. Yeah. And I, I think that Jake Arrieta is a great example of just couldn't figure out how to harness that energy and that talent here. And I'm starting to wonder if we have a developmental problem in the organization, one that won't be admitted to because Angelos has his guys in place. And I wonder if we ought to start using these young pitching uh, chips as trading chips, especially when you talked about Davies being a number four, number five guy. The Orioles have shown in the last few years that they can find those guys and find diamonds in the rough, like Wayne Chen in the international free agency Mm -hmm. market in uh, Miguel Gonzalez, who they picked out of the Mexican League. These guys are available. You you mentioned club control, and that is a big deal because instead of six years with a guy like Davies, you have maybe three or four from a guy like Miguel Gonzalez or, or Wei Chen. But it's not that much of a big deal, in my opinion, to be trading away, I would call, fringe prospects like Davies if you have a shown history of being able to get useful players like, say, a Miguel Gonzalez.
0: Yeah, I'm much more... Uh, liking the aspect of trading like we were just talking about fringe prospects rather than a dylan bundy or hunter harvey and even with dylan bundy's health history and health injuries there's a higher ceiling there and that ceiling is much more encouraging to me but you know you were just talking about how the Orioles have done so poorly against toronto but the Orioles actually did make a move this week in order to improve them in that situation okay let's hear it so going to second base the Orioles designated for assignment bud norris which should help them against the Toronto Blue Jays moving forward.
1: Oh, this base is going to hurt my heart. <laughs> this is going to hurt my heart. Look, I love Bud Norris. But it had to happen. But it had. And he, he
0: just wasn't getting it done. Yeah, he it, was he was not Bud the stud this year. He was a little, little too late. You know, I read an article on BSR right around November of last year. And you can look at the numbers and you're like, Bud Norris is an obvious regression candidate. The Orioles are going to have six starters going into the season. It's a perfect opportunity for them to go and trade one of their starters, whether it had been Bud Norris or Miguel Gonzalez or one of them. But the Orioles didn't want to do that. They wanted to have the starting depth because they're like, "Well, you're eventually going to need six pitchers." Well, yeah, but if you've got a really good pitcher in Kevin Gausman, do you really want to, you know, put him on the back burner and say, "We'll we'll get to you later, kid." Maybe in that second half we'll bring you into the rotation. But
1: be good. Here's a yo-yo. Yeah, exactly.
0: It was, and it's kind of just frustrating in that regard of the oil is not making that move i understand it was a very conservative move but it was a conservative move that backfired Uh, i think they need to be a little bit more aggressive and see what the market would have done for norris and maybe they did that uh we don't know that because we don't know the inner workings of the front office only because the cardinals haven't hacked us right but this is us second guessing just like we were talking about the fans before (laughs) second guessing us trading away prospects (laughs) Fair enough. Let me let me just throw this out there. Sure. Again, this is coming from my gut. I yeah.
1: apologize. There are no no numbers associated with this. Yeah. Uh, Bud Norris could not have been better
0: about it in yes. the way he handled it and reacted. His social media presence. Yep. Uh, Made comments like Kevin Gossman deserves a spot on the rotation, which has to be hard to say. He, he apologized to the fans for having it having it gotten this far. Yeah. I mean, apologized for getting sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough. I mean. He's definitely a good character, a good personality. You know, when we saw him at FanFest, I was just like, that is a guy that really impressed me at FanFest. And it's it's really hard for me to be like, oh, it's hard for me to say goodbye to him. Like, even during the offseason, for example, he was all on social media about like, hey, look who I found. I found Eddie Murray. Or, hey, I went to this Orioles function or this. He did everything in his power to basically support this team on and off the field. It just – he couldn't – do it on the field i mean he tried his best but he's just wasn't very good this year all right let me ask you uh it was his contract year yeah he came off
1: winning 15 games yeah which is no slouch no he was a big important part of the run in the playoffs yeah how much money did he cost himself in the open market with the season he's
0: having now i'm thinking about 50 million <laughs> i don't i don't think you're wrong i think it's about 50 million that he just cost himself that is a tough pill to swallow yeah so what happens here from uh, Bud Norris? I mean, he, he was
1: all set up for payday. If he had another 15-win yeah. season, he was going to be in the money. What happens now?
0: Well, someone's going to sign him to be a starter next year for like one year for like $5 million, and he'll get into a starting rotation somewhere. Um, it, it's going to be a question of once he – pitches you know can he come back and you know he's over the hill in terms of certain certain age i think he's 32 going into next season so there's going to be questions about well how long of a contract can we really give him but i think if we'd had a good season coming off this one you were looking at a three-year deal for close to 50 million dollars do you think the future for bud norris is a starter or do you think he's a bullpen guy um i think that next year will determine that um Mm -hmm. but i think if they do a one to five I think that they can start him off on the rotation and then move him into the bullpen and then he might become a bullpen arm at that point. Sure. But I think he still is a starter going into this offseason in his in his contract year. Okay. I think he still has years in the league because I think he can be an effective reliever. I think he can be too. I just think that I don't think the ship has sailed on him being a starter just yet.
1: You you may be higher on Bud Norris than
0: I am. I am I'm high on him. I just don't think he is was as good as was last year, but I think he's a serviceable number four, number five starter.
1: I have to ask the question. Yes.
0: I'm required by law as an Orioles podcaster to ask this
1: question. Okay. Do you think there's any chance that we'll ever see Bud Norris again in an
0: Orioles uniform? Ever in an Orioles uniform? I don't think it'll happen next year. But I don't see it as unlikely of saying, if Mark Hendrickson can come back and work with the Orioles during spring training, there's no doubt in my mind that we could possibly see Bud Norris in spring training one season when he's like 42 years old. All right, that's not a bad answer. You <laughs> navigated those waters well, sir. But no, he will not be with the Orioles next year.
1: All right, let's let's go to the other side of second base. The the the
0: turn, the turn, around second yeah. base,
1: if you will. Tommy Hunter,
0: yes, traded uh, for Junior Lake uh, to the Cubs. Jake, um, I hear have you in the notes here of saying it wasn't a huge surprise that he was moved. I think to a lot of Orioles fans, it was a big surprise.
1: I think if you looked at who the Orioles had to trade, especially because the cupboard was so bare, that Tommy Hunter was one of the few assets that the team had that had a great deal of value. Because regardless of the Tommy goes boom thing, I think that Tommy Hunter was putting together a good season. And he's also showed people
0: that he can do a lot in this league. He's got a track record, too, of being a pretty effective reliever. Even when he would have failed it out as a closer, he still put together a really nice second half of the season.
1: And look what he can do. He, he can get high, high heat. He can blow it away, you know, throw nine straight fastballs and get you out. But he also has a starter's complement of pitches that isn't good three times through the order, but for two innings or just a single inning, he can be dominant at times. He's not always, but he has enough highs that I, he's a valuable pitcher. So I don't think it's a shock that the Orioles dealt him. I am uh, surprised
0: that they dealt him for the deal that they got. Okay. Yeah, a lot of people are saying, you know, it's not very popular in the clubhouse. It reeks of a salary dump. But I look at the trade that they got with Junior Lake, and I'm very happy with the move. I mean, you got a 25 year old outfielder who's posting some pretty gaudy stats right now in terms of the in- Triple A. Now it is the Pacific Coast League. Stats are artificially affi- artificially inflated slightly in the in the Pacific League uh, by about 20 or 30 percent. But I do like Junior Lake. I just read tonight his first international league play yeah. appearance. He walked and stole second. That's not bad. that's all I know about him. Yeah, that's not bad. But, you know, he's he's a fringe prospect. He'll probably be a fourth outfielder at best. But, I mean, what were you really expecting to get from Tommy Hunter any walk year? I guess the question that a lot of Orioles fans are asking is, you know, why didn't we keep Tommy Hunter? If we're buying with Gerardo Parra, why wouldn't we keep Tommy Hunter in the bullpen? And, you know, I've had people I've heard, you know, stuff from the fan where, you know, Steve Davis and Ken Wyman say, well, there really was no need for it. If the Orioles want to be win, they shouldn't be trading away Tommy Hunter. And they discount the whole aspect of the Norfolk shuttle. And I can't believe that people are discounting that that actually watch this team for multiple years. The ability for Dan Ducat and Buckshaw Walter to use the 40-man roster to their benefit and basically move people up and down, up and down is of immense benefit. It takes, for example, Monday night's game coming into this. Sunday, we weren't able to burn through the bullpen because we had Jorge Rondon come out and pitch over three innings. And basically, be, well, we're not going to win this game. Junk well, time, but it's junk time, and we're going to be able to get through three innings here. And then designate, put him on waiver, or not put well, him on waivers, option him, and then bring up Tyler Wilson for the next game. And then say, all right, Tyler Wilson, now we're going to option you, and we're going to get TJ McFarland as soon as this game is over. This is how the Orioles have survived and succeeded. For so many years now. And for people that watch this team and they can't get that, it drives me insane. They're like, we should have gone out and got Justin Upton. It's like, that team, this team is not going to do that. They don't have the prospects to do that. They don't have the ability to do that. They are going to use their 30-man roster. And they're going to use it effectively in order to win successfully. They're going to minimize players that are playing poorly. And they're going to say, you know what? You're not quite doing it for us. We're going to option you down. I'm actually surprised that Ryan Flaherty didn't get optioned down when he was being doing so poor. Interesting note, Ryan Flaherty is the third catcher tonight uh, since Joseph and Wieders are in the lineup. Does not shock me. Yeah, it does not shock me. But it's just really interesting that people don't understand how effective and how big um, that Norfolk shuttle is. Another point of note for this, Tommy Hunter, projection-wise, was going to be averaging around .2 war for the rest of the season. Michael Givens is going to be averaging around 0.1 war. If you're going to only give a 0.1 war and you're saving $1.5 million in salary and you're getting the ability to option players for an entire entire rest of the season, big win on that part, not to mention, too, it allows Jason Garcia to come up. You were able to get his service time in. It means you get to keep another Rule 5 draft pick, put him back down into the minor leagues next year, and see if you can make that 96 to 98 mile per hour fastball actually work over the next few years. In the minor leagues and the other thing to keep in mind is it's not just good for the
1: bullpen and you use the key name as far as i'm concerned in this next road trip yep. and that's tyler wilson yep because tyler wilson is not just going to protect the bullpen he's also going to protect the starting rotation chris tillman with his turned ankle can't make a start which means that we can bring up tyler wilson without having to dl anybody because we have the roster flexibility to send people up and send people down and the bullpen and the offense covers a mediocre rotation. That's been the way that this team has won since 2012. I think you hit it right on the, the nail in the head. Um, a couple things about this Tommy Hunter move. Um, first of all, it, it, at some level, it's good for Tommy Hunter. It's close to home. Uh, I've read that he, he's got a, a sick mom uh, there in Indiana, so it's a, it's a close trip for him. Um, but I, my question to you, Scott, is this. Are the Cubs the anti-Andy McPhail Orioles?
0: Oh, yeah. Doesn't there, it
1: seem like everybody the, from Baltimore is ending up in the Cubs?
0: There's no question that this is – you know, when we were with Andy McPhail, the Cubs kept coming to the Orioles, and it's like, gosh, what kind of arrangement do we have? And now it feels like it's the exact opposite. It's like, well, this Oriole didn't work out. All right, send him to the Cubs. It'll work out pretty well for him. And it is working out well for yes. him. <laughs> but it's just amazing uh, and, and just a completely different mindset with uh, Epstein out there and also Joe Madden that you're still having these moves to going for four more Orioles, four more Orioles, which – I think is interesting because it's like you look at the projection systems and like these players are not really well highly valued. But yet the Cubs continue to that, that cupboard, which means that the Cubs see something in the team just like the Orioles did as well.
1: Yeah, it's kind of gratifying that way. All right, real quick. What's Tommy Hunter's ceiling? What do you expect to see in him for his next contract and through the rest of his career?
0: Um, Tommy Hunter will probably get somewhere in the line of like a two-year, $12 million deal is my guess.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Maybe
0: ten to twelve million, depending on how well he does for the rest of the season. But I think two to ten two years for ten to twelve is pretty fair for him. I'm going to ask again. Yes, ever again in the orange and black. <sighs> much better chance than Norris, but I'll say no. All right. I agree. I <laughs> All right, can we uh, can we go ahead and make the turn and get to third base? Yes, we can make the turn and go to third base. Go ahead.
1: I'm going to ask you, Scott, uh, because I feel like you know you're the numbers guy. You've got a good grip on the rules of baseball. So you know the distinction between the uh, non-waiver trade deadline and the the trade deadline that exists on August 31st. There can still be moves made between now and then, uh, particularly if the the players are going to be on the roster in the playoffs.
0: Are the Orioles going to make any additional moves in August? I say yes, of course. Um, I think that the Orioles are going to go out and get another outfielder. I think they're going to go get Marlon Byrd. That's just my personal opinion. I think they're going to work a deal with the Phillies and Marlon Byrd will become a member of the Baltimore Orioles, probably replacing Travis Snyder or nolan Reimold in the future i think the player makes sense Uh, i
1: think you're exactly right only because i I wrote that at baltimore sports report uh, a couple weeks ago the only sticking point is that the phillies are trying to build for the future and they need exactly the thing that we don't have which is prospects um that's the only blocker i see otherwise marlon bird is a slam dunk for you know meets the needs of the orioles right all right home plate Yes, home plate. I'm going to get to home plate a little differently. Uh, I
0: wrote earlier this week about it. So it's going to be like a David Lowe tripping, going across third base, and then scampering back to home of third base? I'm
1: thinking Jack
0: Cuss stumble. Uh, okay, that's a really bad image in my head. You're welcome.
1: Yeah. I wrote earlier this week about it being, in some ways, harder uh, now that the team is winning uh, because getting emotionally attached to a player is no longer an option. Uh, and, and basically... I said that back in the dark ages, all we had was the fact that they were good guys. You know, we were bringing up cats like Rodimus Lees and Daniel Cabrera, and we we had nothing of any talent. Kevin Millar was a favorite Oriole for the time that he was here because he was a good guy, even though he was on the back end of his career that had been, you know, middling at best. And so now we're in a position where the Orioles are winning. And when the Orioles want to make sure that they compete, they have to deal guys, and they have to deal guys that there's a possibility that this fan base has grown emotionally attached to. And it's uh, it's different now, and it's weird, and it's hard because you get attached to guys like Bud Norris with their pointing up at uh, pop-ups and grabbing their crotch and running off the mound before the ball even crosses the plate for strike three, or Tommy Hunter bear-clawing a ground ball or grabbing all of the beers at clinchmas. You know, we we like these guys. And at the same time, we have to be ready and able and willing to have the team let them go so that they can continue to win. It's different now, Scott. And uh, I'm curious, is it just me, the the emotional, uh, you know, side of bird's eye view? Or, or is there something too, like, a, a different component of, of this portion of the Orioles, uh, you know, history?
0: Uh, there's definitely a different portion to it of when we were, you know, when we first started this podcast and starting in 2012 – We basically came in with very low expectations of like, well, it was a good good chance to talk about baseball because really nobody else wants to talk about baseball. And now there's a ton of people that want to talk about baseball. Uh, You can go out in the public and see many people rooting for the Orioles. You know, The growth on social media on itself with Orioles coverage since 2012 has been uh, exponential. Uh, The amount of blogs and podcasts that have shown up over that time period has also been grown significantly as well. And it's great. It's great. I mean, it's great to have that kind of community in public because it really wasn't there um uh, for many years so it's great to have that but it is difficult to not get emotionally invested in it I'm reminded of the 2013 season Jake at the very end of it um and us walking out of Oriole Park um with the Orioles only managing to win 84 wins and then I was like and we were losing at that time and I was like Jake don't worry you know it was a good season and you're like no it's not but we managed to win that game we got to 85 wins but you had a very negative opinion on the 2013 season, because 2012 happened, great. 2013 happened, and it was kind of a letdown. But then 2014 happened, and it was great again. And I'm just preparing you that it could be 2013 all over again. I'm trying very hard to put that in perspective. <laughs> well, Jake, I, I prepared something for you, and it's a quote. I think this is appropriate for you going into the 2015 season. And this, the quote starts as this: "The true man wants two things." danger and play now the second part of this is for that reason he wants women as the most dangerous play thing <laughs> which I think is appropriate are you calling the Orioles my mistress I am calling the Orioles your mistress <laughs> Who was the quote by uh, that would be from Nietzsche all right <laughs> fair enough so we've gone to Nietzsche it's, uh, it's Baltimore on welcome folks. yes it exactly let's is. get stupid It's right your wife actually might listen this week now no, <laughs> no
1: not gonna happen Alright, with that, let's uh let's talk about maybe
0: you wanna go back to 2013? I do. Alright, let's go, let, let's go back to 2013 and uh talk over some details. So let
1: it be. Why don't we not make a fuss and get crazy over you and me? Guess what I'll do? I'll play loose. Let's not Like we have a date with destiny And it's just some little
0: crush
1: Not like I faint every time we talk All right, before we get started with this segment, I would just like to point out that I picked out a fine song for the segment, and Scott Magnus overrode me, and he was exactly right. I was exactly right about this one.
0: We're going to talk about... Dave
1: Matthews, I mean... <laughs> We're going to talk about Chris Davis, or Crush. Crush! I mentioned in my uh, tragic rewriting of Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover that you don't seem to see Crush much. Uh, Chris Davis seemed to have lost his way from 2013, but I'm going to tell you, Scott... I'm beginning to suspect that Chris Davis is back. And when I say back, I do not mean his 2013 whatever you want to call that. I want to say that he's back as a productive member of this team. And I want to look at what's happened in the second half of the season. I went back and I looked at the last 30 days of the season. Okay. And that actually stretches back before the All-Star game. And would you believe that Chris Davis is leading hitters on the Orioles, and again, I apologize for using back of the baseball card math here, but he's leading an average, the team, since the, uh, 30, 30 days ago with a 276 average.
0: Well, that just tells you how bad the Orioles are, have been for the past 30 days.
1: Yeah, but that would be something if 276 wasn't an outlier for Chris Davis and what we hmm. had expected from him. Yeah. And the crazy part about it is that if you look at just Chris Davis since the All-Star break, which is only 16 games, it gets even better. His average again. I'll get. I'll get more sophisticated in a second. I promise. His average is up to three hundred. In that stretch of games, again sixteen, he's hit seven home runs. He's driven in twenty runs. His walk percentage is ten. Oh, he's still striking out thirty uh, percent of
0: the time. But he's not striking out forty percent of the time like he was <laughs> earlier this season.
1: His ISO in those twenty and those sixteen games is an astronomical three eighty three. Yeah. All right. His weighted runs created plus is one hundred eighty five. His Ooh. his woba is a a, a embarrassing. 439. And yeah, that's, that's, wanna, some,
0: that's some crushing right
1: there. You want to put that in perspective? Obviously, the average for weighted runs created plus is 100. And the average uh, for Woba is, I think, 320. Yeah, 320 to 320-ish. 330 ish. Yeah. So 439. He is getting it done here. And it's kind of fun to watch because it's gotten to the point where I don't hold my breath when Chris Davis comes to the plate anymore. Or when a rally is underway and Chris Davis comes up, I'm not sure that it's over. I, I will wait and
0: sit and watch it. Right. Is Chris Davis back? <sighs> I can't tell yet personally, and I know we've got 30 days there and that's a pretty decent sample set. But it's nice to see production from him once again and him hitting the long ball. If you look at the numbers where he was in 2013, he's posting very similar numbers in terms of weighted runs created plus like he did. In June and August of that year, not quite as good as he was during April and May, where he was absolutely went gangbusters and had like 27 home runs in two months. But I mean 185 weighted run created plus, that is pretty darn impressive um over a small sample size. So, you know, I, I looked at his numbers and yeah, his strikeout percentage is down, but you look at his pull characteristics and they're exactly the same. So it looks like he's just hitting the ball with some authority again. It's great to see um maybe right field is paying dividends for him all right this drives me nuts this absolutely (laughs) drives me
1: nuts chris davis is athletic enough that for a short stint he can play third base chris davis is athletic enough that in a short stint he can play right field chris davis cannot be your everyday right fielder it cannot happen Look, he hasn't. But Domin
0: Young was a right fielder for a while. No,
1: that cannot happen either. <laughs> look, Chris Davis didn't cost us ball games out there. But if you watch him lope to, uh, to fly balls or lope his way to terrible routes, he cannot play right field. And when he does, ca- when he does catch the ball, it is by the grace of God because some of those plays look a lot harder than they are. Chris Davis is not a right fielder, and I think he's a. a but Jake, fine but, first base. But
0: Jake, player. look at the numbers. When he's gone out to right field now, look how good he has been on offense. And not to mention, too, he's mentioned saying, it's a lot easier for me to be in right field because when I'm at first base, you know, I've got to be on my toes all the time and catching. Maybe by letting him rest out there a little bit longer in right field, he's able to keep some of that crush power in his bat. I can't get behind that. I can get nowhere <laughs> behind that.
1: I, w- I will say, though, that in 2013, before the season happened, Chris Davis showed up early to spring training to work on his defense because he wanted to be a more complete player. Right. And I think that Chris Davis is a very good first baseman. He is yeah. not a gold glove no, caliber first no. baseman. But he is a very good first baseman. He is. And during the whole Chris Parmalee experience— I was very disappointed because we were basically asking Chris Davis to go play his not-natural position. And also, I wasn't convinced that Chris Davis not being at first wasn't the best
0: defensive alignment that we had. Right. So, no, I'm glad to see uh, Chris Barmley gone. I think personally, you know, any Oral fans watching this, just watch Chris Davis. Watch his swing approach. It certainly looks like to me he's got a better plate discipline up there than he was uh, earlier season where he didn't, wasn't sure where he was coming in. He's not so much watching that third strike, which was a big beef with me earlier this season. Uh, at least he's taking productive swings up there. And yes, he's still striking out 30% of the time. But he's done that even during the 2013 season. During the first half of the 2013 season, 28% for his K percentage. Second half, 31.8%. And that's the same season where I think he had 191 strikeouts. So he is going to strike out a ton but you will take that if he can put up 40 home runs or 50 home runs, uh, and he will make a lot of money if he continues with this pace.
1: And again, even when his K percentage is way up there, I mean, you want to talk about this the September and October of 2013 – uh he still had an on base percentage of over three hundred yep. with a plus plus thirty percent strike percentage, the strikeout percentage. So uh, you know, and that's that's bearing itself out right now. Again, that sixteen game small right. sample size I referred to, you know, still striking out thirty percent of the time. But his his OBP is is close to four
0: hundred. Right. And honestly, the Orioles would be in really bad shape over the past thirty days. And certainly July was a bad, bad month for the Orioles. But the Orioles would even be in worse shape if he wasn't performing the way he was, especially with how fluky the middle of the lineup has been with Adam Jones not really being a dynamite representative as the number three or number four hitter. So kudos for Chris Davis um, and also Manny Machado for kind of pulling this lineup through a really rough shape uh, uh, during the July month. I I think the real test will be
1: Chris Davis is clearly having a high right now. Can Chris Davis avoid the low? yeah you know let him swing back to the norm that's fine but he cannot he cannot in the late uh, part of the season have go just,
0: low 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 yeah. yeah stay middle you know you don't have to be as hot as you were right now but keep posting that like 120 to 140 right runs created plus and you're going to be in really good shape all right we're talking about the highs yeah. we're talking about the lows one of us is about to feel
1: very good one of us is not let's find out which it is gosh darn it oh Kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, on, oh, baby You sure do swing When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting Oh daddy, you are the king Baby, you've got me beat up and down Inside, out, and across All right, I may be the boss this week, but I'm also an idiot. I just want to make sure that I, I put this out there. Scott, last week we talked about runners, with scoring in, posi- uh, runners in scoring position. Uh, you picked uh, Manny Machado, I picked Caleb Joseph, and then I wrote exactly the opposite in last week's post on the website. Of course you did. So uh, partial credit here. I may have
0: won Fantasy Boss, but I feel like it's
1: only – a technicality
0: it's what's the most important is it goes out via everyone's ears everyone's ears i even looked at myself and i'm like i don't understand why i would have ever picked caleb joseph that seems like a really random choice for me and then when you brought it to my attention it's like okay i actually feel better now because (laughs) there's no way in the world that i would have thought caleb joseph he may
1: have been right but he was dumb yeah
0: (laughs) um but caleb joseph did great for you, two for two this week. Manny Machado zero for four. Jakey tied it up. The entire series now is tied seven to seven to one. And uh Caleb Joseph, yeah, he's just trying to put food on the table right now with the ability to uh, hit for runners in scoring position. Power in that lineup over there, and uh, you know, Gosman uh, was definitely the key to the game. So wait, let's let's go back. A couple of two run home runs in, in one week. It, it's not easy being you, is it? <laughs> Well, hey, kid, kids got to eat, you know. I mean, he, he's, he's almost five months old, twenty pounds, so he's getting big. So we got to buy more food. So uh, just trying our best. Well, yeah, but at six RBIs this week or something like that. If I've lost count, you you probably know exactly. And then you had another hit from what? A week or so, added again. So you've had a one heck of a week. I'll tell you, you know, it's all about my teammates. You know, oh, oh,
1: exactly. well, I mean,
0: in all seriousness, so they, they've been getting on base and they've been, uh, you know, being in scoring position. So you know, when you when you've got a guy at third base with less than two outs, all you gotta do is really try and put the ball in play, and they've been doing a great job setting me up. So I thought you sounded like Manny. That. I thought you were doing Manny right there <laughs> for us. So. Yeah, I still gotta it. You. I you know, still my give teammates. You know, it's all. You know, we just got to keep grinding, man. We got to keep going. We got to keep oh, grinding. All right, around, Manny. So. All right, Manny. <laughs> You still have the best <laughs> All right, the fact that Kale Joseph is actually doing an impersonation of Manny Machado makes me think that I should get that partial credit now. Yeah, he's, not <laughs> Im- he's not doing a Manny Machado impression. He's doing a killer
1: Manny <laughs> Machado impression. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Cale Joseph uh, gets the win this week. Uh, Jake, what category did you pick for this week?
1: I'm going to go with something that I've actually come to take very se- seriously when it comes to figuring out how a player is doing, and that's going to be WOBA. Ah, so Woba. I want to take uh, keep track of Woba again. You know, just seven games. Uh, it's a small sample size, and, and fantasy boss is all a crapshoot. But uh, you know, I've come a long way probably since the start of the podcast, and I really think that between weighted runs created plus and Woba, it's a really good snapshot of how an offensive player is doing in its entirety. So let's take a look at Woba. Who do you have for this week, Jake? I'm going to go with Haruto. A-ra! I'm really bummed because that was gonna be my <laughs> pick <laughs> and I thought for sure uh you wouldn't go that way all right uh, in that if that's if that's the way you're if that's do the way it, I'm gonna roll I'm gonna go off off the beaten path okay I'm gonna take Jonathan scope
0: all right let's see who's going to own it with woba uh and with that let's go through the rest of the numbers with the good the bad and the ugly That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to start this week. Good is going to be Kevin Gossman. In two starts, he went 14.2 innings pitched, 6.75 Ks per 9, 0.91 walks per 9, 1.23 RA, 2.67 FIP, 3.07 XFIP. He is doing uh, a pretty nice service. will start there for two starts. I highly recommend everyone go over to Masson with the community blog they have over there with multiple blog- bloggers on there. Andrew Stetka posted a great article on Kevin Gossman and how he's going to be a, uh, a a linchpin for this Orioles team moving forward for the rest of the season. Highly recommended. Go check out Andrew Stetka's article on Masson um, and Jake, who's your good for the week?
1: My good for this week is Matt Wieters. And here's the thing about the catching situation for the Orioles. The fewer at-bats for both of them seem to be doing well for both Caleb Joseph and Matt Wieters. Let's talk about Matt Wieters' last, say, 07 days. In 21 plate appearances, he was rock solid. I'm going to start at the back of the baseball card first. Three doubles, a home run, and three RBI, 10 for 20. All right in that time, that comes to a 272 weighted crun- uh, red runs created plus a 565 woba off the charts ISO at about 300 and a 563 babip. Now, obviously, with the babip number, you know that yeah. that's not going to stay sustainable, but if you're talking about a hot week, oh, definitely a hot week, it's a hot week yeah. taking advantage of the at bats that he gets. And quite frankly, I think the way the at bats are being laid out before him may be leading to his success.
0: Yeah, I can see that to a certain regard. Uh, it might also be that first base play that he had too, you know, getting him at first base, you know, obviously could be of a significant benefit to him. I don't even know what to think about that, but if, <laughs> if the bat can stay hot,
1: then he can play first base. But the thing is, when that big contract comes, he's going to be really valuable as a catcher. Yeah. And if he's going to be the same guy he's been his entire career, the bat's not going to come with and him if the first if he's going to need to be
0: a catcher first baseman, then he's going to get him like a Mike Napoli contract for a short-term contract. Yep. All right, going to the bad this week. I'm going to go with J.J. Hardy. Uh, a lot of people are going to say, what? He was just running a 14-game history. But if you look at his numbers, 47 weighted runs created plus. Look, this is why streaks are tough to get excited about, at least for me. Besides the one home run, he's been slapping the ball a lot. Yet we're batting him high in the order. Number five or number six in the order in certain instances. He needs to be moved down to the bottom of the order. No higher than seventh right now at this time. J.J. Hardy is, you know basically struggling with his age right now. He's having a really difficult time hitting for power. He's a slap hitter. I wouldn't be surprised in the future if he becomes a solid number nine hitter and basically just use him as a slap hitter to try to get on base.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's going to be the type of deal where he hit 30 home runs one year for this club, 25 uh, home runs another year, and we thought we had a power hitting shortstop. And you know now we've got Blade 2.0. Yeah, uh, Defensively, you can't touch him. And you put him on the left side of the infield with Manny Machado, and you have a, a you know an impenetrable wall. Yep. But I agree with you. He's probably a number nine hitter moving forward for this club it, it come 2016.
0: All right. Who's your bad for the week?
1: My bad for the week is Wei-Yin Chen. And look, everybody's got to get a bad game out of the way, and he certainly did it with style uh look he had uh, a single game started in this past uh period that we're looking at for for uh good bad and the ugly and he came away uh rather scathed let's put it that way yeah 3.1 innings he gave up 10 hits in that period as well as six earned runs it was just it was a terrible terrible start
0: and uh, he's been so good for us but this week he was bad 8.1 home runs per nine innings for that start <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> Uh, All right, Uh, let's go to Ugly. Uh, Mine is going to be Abaldo Jimenez. Uh, Pitched in two starts this week. He did get a win this week, but again, it was against the lowly Braves. Um, My biggest issue was that Sunday game, and it was an absolutely disgusting performance by him. Um, Just a really bad command in the strike zone. 3.86 Ks per nine, 3.09 walks per nine. Certainly not a very good strikeout-to-walk ratio right there for the two-game set completely. Um Alberto Jimenez hasn't been very good uh, during the second half. And if the Orioles are expecting to be a good team going down the stretch, Alberto Jimenez is going to need to find some of that first half magic and get some of that command back in the strike zone. If not, people are going to continue to hit meatballs off of him.
1: Yeah, and they can't afford it. Yep. All right, my ugly for this week is me. Mm. My ugly for this week was Sunday's game. We had a wonderful morning at the Birdland Bash. Great time. People came out and had a blast. It was a lot of fun to see everybody get together. Really appreciate people supporting that event and and just coming together and having a good time playing the game that we enjoy so much. Then we went and uh, found ourselves at a local watering hole, had some good times, good conversations, went to a baseball game. You had game. a good beer, too, there. I did.
0: Yeah, it was one a or, really good
1: beer. One or two. You got to see good
0: friends from college, too. I did.
1: It was yeah. a, it was a great day. Yeah. It was a great day. It was a beautiful day for baseball. Yeah. We get to the park. A little hot. A little hot. It was all right in the shade. All right. We picked our, our seats appropriately. Okay. And the Orioles were an absolute
0: disaster. Train wreck.
1: And I let that eat at me.
0: To be fair, they played really, really bad. Just sloppy fundamentals.
1: But you know what? I failed to put it in perspective in the fact that the Orioles won five out of seven games in that homestand. Yes. In the fact that uh, as bad as July was, in comparison, the Orioles are flying high. Uh, and I, I was super cranky about the game i was really pissy about it so uh my ugly for this week is me because i could not put the entirety of a, a wonderful sunday in perspective for a uh
0: embarrassing effort of a baseball game from the orioles and uh, i'll take that on just remember jake the true man wants two things danger and play danger and play
1: are you calling the orioles my mistress i I'm, think
0: that's what you're saying they're def- definitely calling them your mistress they were they were ugly yeah they were very ugly on sunday all right well with that I think it's time we go ahead and blow the save. Uh, I'm going to blow the save with uh, a little bit of a spin here, and I think Jake is going to be surprised by this. Jake, the announcement uh, that is coming out tonight is the NHL and MLB Advanced Media are going to be partnering next season and bringing about big changes to uh, how the internet will be watching hockey going forward. So evidently, MLB Advanced Media will be taking over all the NHL's web operations, apps, streaming video, and all their in-game stats as well. And basically allowing it to analyze it and put it out for their fans. Let me ask you something. Yes. What's hockey? Okay. Continuing on, <laughs> uh, MLB Advanced Media earlier this year was valued at around $6 billion, which means that each team is getting about $200 million just from MLB Advanced Media uh, in terms of actual value. The fact that another major uh, sports league is partnering with MLB Advanced Media just goes to show how well that organization is put together. And as much as we like to joke about MLB dying or the sport of baseball dying or just being behind or just being behind the curve, MLB advanced media once again has shown its ability to adapt and also adapt so well that other leagues are one to take on that. Uh, The NFL, for example, has had a very difficult time getting into the digital age, my opinion. It'd be interesting to see whether MLB is able to use advanced media to their benefit to draw in a newer consumer base of the millennial generation and basically adapt as opposed to saying, oh, we're just an old fart, old-time sport. I have an
1: idea for him. Okay. Major League Baseball, if you're listening, I need you to write this down. All right, I'll give you a second. Okay. Flip to the next page in your in your to-do list. All, All right. right. Here you go. This is what I'm thinking. Okay. Okay. There are probably a lot of hockey blogs and podcasts out there, all right? So what you need to do is you need to go to Apple and you need to serve a cease and desist for every fan-produced hockey podcast you can find so that you can bring your own substandard product into the market and therefore make all of your fans less
0: thrilled with your product. That I think that's a winning strategy. Just focus on hockey, though. Not on a baseball podcast, though. Now, is that the one with the horse or is that the one that play in the pool? Uh Yes. All right. Well, with that, I think we've talked enough about hockey for pretty much the rest of this podcast for the rest of our lives. You're welcome. Uh, yes, exactly. But I thought that was an interesting thing to end the show with. Um, Jake, anything else going on that you wanted to touch base with? West Coast trip, pretty big... Um, series are coming up not so much against the athletics but the angels where a lot of people aren't talking about the Orioles are only two games behind them for the first wild card spot so it could be a really big series against the angels um for especially for how badly they've been playing for the past little bit as well
1: i have a confession sure i a night owl i love the west coast games i love the west coast games because you can do whatever it is that you need to do put the kids to bed whatever have some of your evening to yourself and then you know, my wife goes to bed early, so I basically have, like, a little me time, a little
0: alone time, me and the Orioles. I, I love West Coast baseball. Well, with that, if anyone wants to follow us on BirdseyeViewBAL, Jake will be up tweeting into the early morning hours. With that, Jake, I have nothing left. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore.